guardian angels and patron saints. Pray for us. Well, a happy, happy epiphany to all of you as we celebrate this manifestation of the glory of the Lord to the, to the wise men and, of course, to all those present assembled around the, the, the creche, the, the manger where our Savior is laid. It's a tough time of year for me every year. This is one of the hardest feasts because we, we bring out our beautiful statues, finally complete the whole the whole crash, and every year I have to look at those big, long, beautiful beards, and I just, I just covet them. I wish I could grow a beard like that. It's not to be. The wise men are assembled there before the, before the little manger, and in a beautiful, poetic irony, the arm of the Lord is bared, his powerful, mighty right arm, a little fat baby's arm. That's what they've come to adore. That is the power of God. As St. Paul says, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. That's what makes our wise men wise, is that unlike the murderous duplicity of Herod, they come in good faith. They come in good faith to present their gifts in honor of a true king. It's in that adoration that something is revealed. An epiphany is a a, a shining forth, a revelation. Um, in In a sense, God revealing himself or allowing himself to be glimpsed in his glorious Splendor. Epiphany continues to the present day. Our Catholic faith teaches us that, in fact, what we celebrate on this day of Epiphany takes place at every liturgy. Every Mass is an Epiphany. And so, on this day, I think it's a good opportunity for us to just reflect on a couple of things about what happens at Mass why Mass is so important, why it's the source and the summit of our, of our life. And I'd like to tell you about a couple of epiphanies that I experienced myself. But I just want to, as, as a preparatory way of explaining that, I just want to remind us of some of the teachings of, of the Church about why the Mass is an epiphany, why every time the Church gathers, assembles together as the body united to its head, in prayer, that God is mysteriously revealed in his glory. First reason for this is that Jesus is the minister of every single liturgy. He presides. He is the one who is at work praying to his Father. Christ is always present in the church, as we know but he is especially present in these what we might call live celebrations. We believe that he's present in the Eucharist, that that's, in a sense, his preeminent presence, his body, his blood, his soul, and divinity, before which we bow in adoration. But also, he is present in his word. 
when the scriptures are proclaimed, when they're spoken aloud and they echo through the church, when those sounds strike our ears and enter our hearts, faith is engendered, and it is Christ who accomplishes accomplishes it. It is Christ whom we receive when we hear his word proclaimed. And so too, when we pray, when you utter those words in the dialogues of the Mass, when you sing the parts of the Mass, Christ is present in you. In all of these various ways, the church radiates and reveals Christ present. That's why all of us are directed towards him in a fundamental way. The liturgy is not about the priest, except insofar as he's acting in the person of Jesus. The liturgy is not about the skill of the, of the lector or of the musicians, except insofar as they are echoing the word of God or drawing down the voice of the angels in praise of God. It's not about any one of us, except insofar as we are being transformed into a reflection of Christ, into his very image. This is what Isaiah is talking about in the first reading. You'll notice a little shift in in the way he talks about the glory of God coming to dwell in Jerusalem. First, he's he's saying the glory of the Lord is shining and illuminating upon Jerusalem, the the chosen people, the covenant people who are are bound to him in in this family bond. Darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples, but upon you, Jerusalem, the Lord shines and over you appears his glory. And then he shifts. He he starts to speak about Jerusalem not as illuminated, but illuminating. Nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. That is, Jerusalem, in a sense, takes in the glory of God and then spreads it, reflects it. And the church is prefigured in that, in that prophecy. The covenant people, now not restricted only to the people of Israel, but to all Gentiles and Jews alike, we are illuminated by God and radiate him outwards. Nations walk by our light, a light which we have received from God. That's a beautiful prophecy. What this means is at the base of our, or at the the heart of our, our teaching and our practice as Catholics is that all of this takes place in the sacraments. This is why the sacraments are so crucial. St. Leo the Great taught that what was visible in our Savior when he walked the earth has passed over into the sacraments. What was visible in Jesus when he was walking the earth, when he was laid in the manger, well, it's passed over now into the sacraments. So, what that means is that what we see and hear and touch and smell and taste in all of our liturgies and all of our sacraments Those are our experience of Christ. Just as real, given our spiritual senses, as the experience of people who would have walked through the cities of Palestine 2,000 years ago. 
That's a, that's a bold claim. That's a remarkable claim. But that is the church's claim, that he is present, and we experience him in the same way that those who would have reached out to touch the hem of his garment or who would have eaten the loaves and fishes that he multiplied would have experienced him. All of these sensory, concrete things, all of these sacramental realities that we experience in the Mass and all of the other liturgies of the church bring us Jesus. They bring us Jesus. And so far from being simply reminders or symbols, they actually bear his presence. They are epiphanies of what was once visible in our Savior. So, it matters how we carry ourselves. It matters how we go about these rituals because they manifest, they bear the presence of the Lord. It's important how we come forward to receive communion. Right? Even something as simple as how we dress to come to Mass says something. Right? We're part of this manifestation. It's important how the servers, when they're here, move through the sanctuary, how they carry themselves, right? Because they show something. They're manifesting an epiphany of the Lord. Here's a couple of experiences that I'd like to share with you that have helped me to understand and really grasp this. Two, two things in particular. The first is something that I use to, to teach the servers, actually. It's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the Sentinels Who Guard It. Those of you who have ever been out to Arlington National Cemetery know that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, uh, rain or shine, snow or hurricane, there are soldiers, sentinels, who process back and forth in front of the tomb of a soldier whose name we do not know, but who in a sense stands in for all those who have given their lives in the service of our country and whose names are unknown to all but God. This is one of the greatest honors a member of our armed forces can have, is to be, to be given the, the privilege of standing guard as a sentinel over that tomb. It's reflected in the way that they carry themselves. They have special shoes that they wear that allows them to walk very smoothly without bobbing up and down. They carry their shoulder, which is or excuse me, they carry their rifle on their shoulder, which is polished and clean to absolute perfection. Their uniforms, they spend hours ironing and cleaning in order to be ready for their hours of processing back and forth, which they do by taking 21 steps, stopping for 21 seconds, turning around, and taking another 21 steps back and forth and back and forth. Precision, discipline, order, all showing respect. And when you go to that cemetery, when you see that, when you experience it, it's hard not to feel like you're in a holy place. There's something deeply reverent about the way we show respect that, in fact, communicates something sacred. Now, this is a, a secular liturgy, you could say. It's not something that is associated with divine revelation, but it, it communicates, at least to me, something of what, how we go about our honoring of God communicates and reveals. In fact, radiates 
what it means to give one's life for one's country and what level of respect that deserves. I use that as an image for our servers. Right? When you come to Mass and you prepare to honor him in this way, right, there's something that your way of carrying yourself, your way of praying, actually can lead people into a greater understanding of what's taking place in the Mass. So too, when there's a carelessness, when there's an inattentiveness, right, that can also have its effect. All of these things together cooperate to form a kind of revelation, an epiphany of the presence of God in our midst. For we honor someone far greater even than those who have died to serve our country. We honor the God who died to save us from our sins. The other experience of revelation of, a, of an epiphany in a kind of group setting like this is something that I experienced as a seminarian when I was sent down to El Salvador to do my Spanish immersion in order to learn how to speak Spanish and minister to the Spanish-speaking Catholics in our diocese. I was staying for the summer in a, uh, an orphanage. It was an orphanage that was founded by an American priest in um, well, some time ago in, in the 70s or 80s, I, I think. I'm not exactly sure when. But this particular home had, had celebrated its 10th anniversary that summer that I was there. So it was a big celebration. And the celebration was really dedicated in honor to um, the Father Wasson, who was the American priest who had founded this series of homes throughout Latin America to take care of children who were orphaned or who couldn't be cared for by their parents, to provide them an education, to take them in, feed them, equip them for life, and to do so simply as, a, as an act of generosity. There were children, about 500 kids, at the house that I was staying at from infancy through college. And they'd get together and they have these big parties, right? Simple things, but they would get together, first and foremost, for Mass. And at this particular Mass, a few of the children, the older kids, were invited to uh, write poems or to recite um, sort, sort of words of gratitude to Father Wasson, the founder of these particular homes. And in the church, there was a, a portrait of Father Wasson that had been put up on an easel for the, for the occasion as a reminder of who he was. He's just an ordinary-looking kind of grandfatherly figure. And one of the young men, his name was Mario, was invited forward to read the poem that he had written in honor of Father Wasson. And it was quite, it was quite striking to me because, as I would have expected, he was invited forward. This is Mario. He wrote a poem for Father Wasson. And you would think he would stand in front and recite it to all of us. But he didn't do that. He turned and read the poem to the portrait of Father Boston. That struck me as unusual. It wasn't what I expected, right? But of course, it was completely appropriate because he didn't write the poem for us. He wrote it for Father Boston. He was speaking to Father Boston. He was expressing his gratitude to Father Boston. And on our behalf, all of us, in a sense, were united in him and in his person, in his words, speaking those words of gratitude. And that struck me. That's exactly what the Mass is. That's exactly what the Mass is. Because we are, in a sense, caught up into the words of Christ himself to his Father, his prayer of adoration, his perfect self-offering 
to his heavenly father. He's speaking not necessarily to us, but to God. And we are drawn into that. And all of our prayers, partial, incomplete, imperfect as they are, acquire their perfection and their completion in the prayer of Christ to his Father, in that perfect self-offering that took place first on Calvary and is now made present here. This is why it's an interesting experiment. I want you to pay attention during the prayers of the Mass today. The Eucharistic prayer. Think about this. Who, who is being addressed in the Eucharistic prayer? Which person of the Holy Trinity is being addressed in the Eucharistic prayer? It might be hard to think about. I don't point this out to say, to make you, to make you feel... <laughs> Like you haven't been paying attention. It's hard to, it's hard to notice these things until someone pointed, points it out. I didn't notice it until someone pointed it out to me. But throughout the Eucharistic prayer, it is the Father in particular who is being addressed. And it is the Son who is addressing him. So when the priest is saying, with the host in his hand, or the chalice in his hand, take this, all of you, and eat of it, Who's he talking to? He's not talking to you. It's the son reminding the father, do you remember what I asked them to do? Do you remember how they were to participate in my sacrifice? Here they are. Here they are before you, faithful to my word, eager to receive the mercy that you wish to pour out. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a sort of complex little web of relationships there, and it's easy to miss it, right? It passes us, passes us by, but pay attention to that in the Eucharistic prayer today and going forward. It's your prayer being drawn in to the prayer of the Son to his Father in the Holy Spirit. I invite these exercises here on, the day of, on this day of Epiphany because it's a chance for us to really lay hold of what it is that happens in the Mass, which can sometimes pass us by. But it is an epiphany. And when we get this, when we receive it, when it takes root in us, we become the glory that God has chosen us, to, chosen us in order to manifest and reflect to the world. Right? When, we're, when our spiritual senses are activated, when we can see and hear and taste and touch with the eyes and senses of faith, Something changes in us. And when we leave this building, we go out as the body of Christ, his members in the world, and we reflect that glory. We reveal it. We become epiphanies to the world. And nations walk by our light. This is our call today and every day in which we are drawn into the mystery of God's sanctifying love for us. May we receive with the senses of faith these gifts that he gives us for the glory of his name and the salvation of our souls and those entrusted to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.